Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. We're, we are in the middle of what we call Pray First, which means we, we take this first part of the year and we focus on prayer, we take time to fast, we've invited you guys to join us with a Daniel fast, which isn't a, a complete fast of food, but it's when you, you choose certain types of food. Daniel avoided the sweets and meats, so we've recommended the same, but some people have customized it to something else, and we are seeking God first. And we've been talking about prayer, and I'm going to admit to, to something I did this week. So I'm thinking to myself, I need, you know, I need to impress the congregation and I need to come with something different. So I'm studying and I'm reading up on different things about prayer and every time I just keep coming back to some of the stuff that we shared last year when we were talking about prayer. And I realized, you know, if that's what the Holy Spirit is asking me to do, that's what I need to do. It doesn't matter whether this is totally new or not. So I was like, okay. Well, at the, at the risk of seeming redundant, um, but I believe at the behest of the Holy Spirit, we're going to talk about the different types of prayer. And we've, we've talked about this about a year ago, but I really feel like this is where God is leading us. And some of you may recognize a few of my illustrations, but I think that they're good. Um, how many of you like sports? All right. Every hand up that likes a sport. Okay, now, if that sport is basketball, keep your hand up. All right. If that bat sport is football, put your hand up. All right. Hockey. Cross country. Archery. Golf. Curling. How many realize that there are a lot of different sports? And when we say, hey, I like sports, we don't all necessarily think of the same thing. Now, just imagine for a minute if you tried to play basketball with soccer rules. Only using your feet. How many of you guys think you could make a, make a basket, a free throw, with only your feet? It, it wouldn't work. Now, they're both sports, but they have different rules that apply, and they, they're played differently. One of the mistakes that many Christians make is we go through the Bible and we think that prayer is one size fits all. And anything that is said about prayer applies to every prayer. But that isn't the case because there are different types of prayer and we're going to talk about that today. One of the prayers that's a very powerful prayer that Jesus prayed that I believe is one of the most um, misapplied because of... Well, let's just go in. Matthew 26, 39. Jesus, going a little further, fell face down and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus is praying. How many recognize Jesus is an excellent example? If Jesus did it, so can we. But Jesus is in a particular situation. He is praying a prayer of consecration. And he says, you know, if it be thy will, take this cup from me. But not my will be done, but yours. Now, 
there is a time and a place for that prayer. Consecration is a time when you are giving, like you are consecrating your behavior to the Lord. You are finding, asking God's purpose. Matthew 26, 42, uh, he says, a second time he went away and he prayed, my father, if this cup cannot pass unless I drink it, may your will be done. From this comes a, a Christian habit of saying, if it be thy will to everything. See you tomorrow, if it be thy will, God's will. You know, praying for, for healing. Well, if, if it be God's will. Praying for anything. And every single one saying, if it be God's will. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes we don't know what God's will is. How many of you recognize that? And when we don't know, it's okay to say, hey, if this is your will. But when we know God's will, and we talked last week, we talked about connecting our requests to God's known will. That's a different situation. Jesus was considering, I, I can still remember the day. I was, I think, 14 years old. I don't remember the date, I remember the day. So my age, I'm not completely certain about, but I believe I was about that age. And I was in our youth group, and we had similar looking chairs to this. And I can remember that I was sitting on that side of the sanctuary, and I came down and I knelt down at the front of the, the sanctuary. And from kindergarten until that point, I had felt a desire to be a missionary. And I had planned for it. I had wanted to go. When I was 11, I asked my parents if I could go to Mexico. They bought me tickets and sent me by myself. Called up a pastor that they knew down there, said, these are his flights. Put them with somebody in your church who doesn't speak English. And he did. And every summer I was going and I was preparing and I was planning to go back to Mexico to be a missionary, which is where I was born when my parents were missionaries there. And this was a passion that I had. But that day, I remember coming down to the, the, the front of the church and praying, God, if it be your will that I be, you know, go into missions, excellent, because that's where I'm headed. But if you have something else you want for me, tell me, I'm willing to put aside my will if you communicate to me your will, and it's different. This was a prayer of consecration. I was saying, God, I am giving my, I'm putting aside my will. I'm, I want to accept yours. You know, if, if this that I want is your will, so be it. If it's not, then, then I put aside my will. That is a prayer of consecration. Jesus was praying that prayer. He was in a challenging situation where he recognized. And he was saying, God, if there is another way, sign me up. But if there isn't, your will be done. When we look at that, that is an example, a godly example of how to pray a prayer of consecration. But that is not the same 
situation as every single prayer. And we're going to look, and there are other types of prayer. We talked last week about connecting our purpose, the purposes of God, his known will, to our petitions. Recognize that was not a prayer, Jesus asking God for something, was it? His his prayer of consecration wasn't a request for something. You know, give me healing. No, he, he was saying, look, let your will be done in my life. I consecrate, I give my life to you. Do with it what you will. And I'm willing to lay aside my will for that. Then we have petitions. 1 John 5, 14 says this, And this is the confidence that we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14 says, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these will he do, because I go to my Father. And whoever you ask in my name that I will do, or sorry, not whoever, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, that word ask is so interesting. And we talked about this before. Sometimes a language has multiple words for what another language has only one word for. And the example that for me is the absolute clearest would be snow. How many of you know what snow is? Hey, we've had a good bit of it lately. Now, we here in, in the U.S. of A. in English have a couple of words for snow. We have snow, slush, sleet, right? Kind of all the same stuff. But if we were in the, the, if we were Eskimos, if we were the Inuit tribe, they have like 40 words for snow. One of their words means big, light, fluffy snow. Another word means, word means, you know, Blown about snow that's already on the ground. Then there's light snow. And then there's the hard, like, sandpapery snow. They have a different word for each one of those. Okay? Well, for obvious reasons. If you're an Eskimo and that's where you live, one word just doesn't do justice to all the different types of snow you could be referring to. Hebrew, or Greek, excuse me, which this was written in, has more than one word for ask. And so if I was to say, I could take the word for accumulated snow, and then the other word for falling snow, and I could look outside and say, there is accumulated snow out there, but there's no falling snow out there. But when I was translating that into English, it would come out as, There is snow out there, but there's no snow out there. Do you realize how if we were translating from their language that meant different things into the one where they're all the same thing, it would get a little bit confusing because we'd be like, well, which 
Snow, there, you just said there isn't snow, but you said there is snow. Well, because one of those referred to snow on the ground and the other referred to snow in the sky falling. And right now we have snow on the ground, but we have none falling in the sky. Now, I want to read a verse in the Bible that's similar to that. John chapter 16, 23 through 24. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he will give to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy may be full. To me, that verse reads like a translation about there's no snow outside, but there's snow outside. Because he says, in that day you will ask. And then he says, whatever you do ask, you'll get. And then he says, until now you have not asked, but then you will ask. And he's like, wait a minute, what does this mean? Let me show you the two types of ask. One is to ask a favor. If, if I was to come to you, Steve, and say, hey, could I have 10 bucks? That would be me asking you to do me a favor. Right? How many of you have ever gone to the bank to withdraw money? When you asked the teller for your own money, were you asking the teller for a favor? No. You were asking for something, but you were, you were making a petition for something that was already yours. You were making a withdrawal, we would call it. We would say, hey, I was withdrawing money from the bank. I was simply asking Steve to spot me a 10. There's a difference. This verse, this is how, this is how the, the Strong's Concordance refers to the two different ones. It says... The one word is to re request a favor. The other word is to demand something that is due. Now let's go back and read this verse with that understanding that there are two types of ask. And in that day, you will ask for favors, me nothing. So basically it says, in that day, you will not ask me for favors. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask, understanding that it's owed, the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing under the understanding that it's owed in my name. But if you ask what is owed, you will receive it that your joy may be full. Let's read that again. He says, the day will come when you will stop asking asking me as if it's a favor. Because I most assuredly say to you, whatever you ask, understanding that you already have a right to it, in the Father's name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked with the understanding that it's already owed nothing in my name. But ask, understanding that it's owed, and you will receive that your joy may be full. How many of you guys realize that makes a big difference when you understand what it's saying there? There is a prayer 
the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith is the prayer that understands God's promise, knows God's will, and doesn't come to God as, as I would go to Steve. Steve, I totally forgot my cash. Can you spot me a 10? Totally figuring he might not have one. He might not want to give it to me. You know, I'm asking him for a favor. But God says there's a different kind of ask. The kind of withdrawal where I, I already know God's will. I know that what he has promised me. Right? That is, is the way that God's word describes that we are to pray the prayer of faith. Matthew 21, 22 says, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. That is that second ask. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and you will, it will be yours. Mark eleven twenty four. James 1, 6 through 8 says, but when you ask... You must believe and not doubt because the one who asks is like a wave of the sea and is blown and tossed by this, the uh, wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but shall meditate on it day and night. Then you will make your way prosperous. So, the Bible said of these people that if they were wishy-washy, they could not expect anything from the Lord. Was Jesus wishy-washy? No, he wasn't. But when he was praying that prayer of consecration, he said, not my will done, but yours be done. He prayed differently when he was consecrating himself to the Lord. But when Jesus would pray for healing, was he wishy-washy? No. I actually spent some time a while back looking at all of the different places where the people said, but the thing that seemed to impress everybody about Jesus was that he had authority. He wasn't asking favors. He was speaking to the waves in the wind. And he was speaking to sickness and disease. And he was speaking to, these, to, the, to the, those things with confidence. One of the reasons that we do not pray with confidence and with faith is that we do not know Scripture well enough to know what we're praying for is God's will. So then we're just hoping for it. That's why... Joshua 1.8 is so important. He says, this book of the law will not depart. I will meditate on it day or night. If I don't have God's word in my heart, if I don't know God's word, then I don't know God's will. And it's, how am I supposed to know that God wants to, to, to heal my body or restore my marriage or, or bless my finances if, if I've never seen any of that in Scripture? If I don't know that God wants to heal the brokenhearted, 
then when someone shows up with a broken heart, you know what I think? I sure hope that God would like to do something. It would be nice if God wanted to do something. How do I, how do I prepare myself so that I can pray in biblically with, with faith? I need to fill myself with the knowledge of God's word. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes from the word of God. What does that mean? The more I know God's word, the more confidently I know his will. And when I know his will, then I can declare it and I can ask for it in a biblical manner that is confident of what God wants. Let's talk about another type of prayer. Psalms 37, verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do it. The prayer of commitment. Committing things to the Lord. You know one of the things that we can commit to the Lord? 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I have in my note here, I said, he doesn't want to lighten your load. He wants to carry it all. I can commit my anxieties to the Lord. Matthew 6, 25 through 27. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? We've talked about this before. There are examples. Jesus thought about and planned for food and for life. There are times the disciples came to him and said, hey, we're here, we've got a whole bunch of people, there's no food around to purchase, what do we do? Jesus says, well, find me some. Finds him some, he does a miracle, he creates the food. He's on the cross in the middle of being crucified, dying for you and I's sins, and he says to one of his disciples, hey, take care of my mother. There's nothing wrong with planning your life. There's nothing wrong with, with investing your money or with, with planning out, budgeting your finances, planning things out. That's not what it's saying. It's not saying, oh, you can't wonder about food. No, it's about priority. If your preoccupation with your food and your clothing and your provision has taken the place of God's word, God's plan in your life, then you're out of order. What does the Bible say? Seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you. We've talked about this before. It's not, it's not wrong to consider your finances, but your finances shouldn't be the most consuming priority in your mind. Because then it's not a thought, it's a care. It's an anxiety. Think about that for a second. Our anxieties are just misprioritized, legit thoughts. 
they have been given more space, more higher priority in our mind than they should have. And that's one of the things about anxiety that makes it hard, a hard habit to break. Because are you allowed to, to think about making your car payment? Yeah, of course you are. But should that be the obsession and the fear that you have in every waking moment that what will happen if I don't make that payment and what if I don't make my mortgage and what if I don't... Right? It's a healthy thought. It's an unhealthy care. It has to be subject. It has to be in the right order in our life. The Bible literally tells us that that fear or worry can nullify our prayer. It says, do not be anxious about Philippians 4.6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to the Lord. We don't want this misprioritization of our lives to block what God is wanting to do in our life. Another type of prayer is a prayer of worship. Luke 24, 52 through 53 says, Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Acts chapter 13, 1 through 3 says, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed hands on them and sent them off. Man, it's interesting how they were praying, they were worshiping, they were fasting. There are many different types of prayer, but they're oftentimes like fingers on a hand. They can work together. Oftentimes you may go from a prayer of of thanksgiving to a prayer of praise to a request and then back to a prayer of praise and thanksgiving. There is power in a prayer of worship. Acts 16, 2 through 28 gives the story of Paul and Silas. And in verse 25, it says that about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul sent him down and said, do not harm yourself. We are all here. I don't know about you, but if I had been in that situation, I think my first thought would have been to engage in a prayer of petition. Praying, God, break us out of here. But that wasn't the approach Paul and Silas took. The Bible says that they were praising the Lord. They were just praising having a time, they were singing hymns to God. They were prioritizing the Lord. 
we should do a message on this sometime and a study. And it, you don't have to wait for me. Go ahead, do a study on this. Study priority. What happens when we put things in the right priority? They put God first. They began to praise him, even though their situation was dire. And God blessed them with a supernatural prison break. Sixth type of prayer we're going to talk about today is a prayer of agreement. Matthew 18.18 says, I tell, Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you agree on earth, agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, I am with them. Another verse that illustrates it is Deuteronomy 32.30 says, How should one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight? This is synergy. How many of you remember when I shared the example of the oxen? Anybody remember this? Oh, a couple people. So true story. There was a uh, competition in Canada where a bunch of farmers brought their ox and had these, this competition to see whose ox could pull the most weight. The winning ox pulled 8,000 pounds. 8,000 pounds. The second place ox was like 7,000 something. It was like really close, but he didn't quite make it to eight. And so they crowned the winner. He pulled 8,000. And then a couple of these farmers got creative and they said, what if we put them together? What if the 8,000-pound ox and the one that pulled almost 8,000, if they came together, how much do you think they could pull? And so they strap them up and they start taking bets and people are, are trying to figure it out. A bunch of people bet, well, how much would you figure? 16,000. And a few people bet a little less. A few people bet maybe they could do a little more. When they finally started stacking on the weight, and finally got to a point that they could not pull anymore, those two ox who separately pulled about 8,000 each pulled 26,000 pounds together. Not 16,000, which would be the sum of the two that they could do by themselves. 10,000 pounds more. That's more than you would have mathematically expected had they added a third ox of equal strength to them. Together the sum of what they could accomplish was greater than what they could accomplish individually by themselves. God gives us that picture of what it looks like in prayer. He says, when you come together, you are more than just what you could accomplish on your own. When I shared with you that I would spend my summers as a kid in Mexico. And one of the places that I would go to was Hidalgo, um, Mexico. That's a state in Mexico, a uh, very mountainous region. And there was a, a fellow there by the name of Banancio Hernandez Montiel. 
Banancio was like five foot nothing. And he had come to, to the Lord um, by actually, he had first found witchcraft. And then someone showed him the word, the Bible, and he's decided to compare the two and discovered that, there were, that God was more powerful than witchcraft and then followed God. And in the 70s, he was considered to be responsible for the gospel reaching 260,000 people. He continued to evangelize those mountainous regions for almost 30 more years. And during that time, I would go there, and the stories he would tell. God, he had, he had seen the dead raised. He'd seen demons cast out. He'd seen all kinds of healings. And this is something interesting. When he went to pray for someone, he would first ask those around him, how many of you believe this person is going to be healed? And if they said no, he kicked them out. Now, the Bible talks about the power of unity. I, I, off the top of my head, I can't think of an example of when, when any of the disciples or Jesus were literally kicking people out for not being in agreement. But I'm telling you about what Benancio, who saw more miracles than I've ever seen in his ministry, had come to recognize was a key part. He said, I want people to be in agreement with what we're doing. Because he recognized the power, the biblical power in agreement. So before he would pray for someone sick, he'd be like, all right, those of you who are here, if you don't expect a miracle, leave. Be gone. Only those of you who are ready to be in agreement with me in prayer, stay here. Again, there's, biblically, there is a lot to be said about unity. I don't have a biblical example of that exact same thing, but I tell you what. I saw with my own eyes the powerful ministry that this man had and, and, and the experience. And I remember, oh my goodness, <laughs> I remember one of the last times that I saw him. We were, we were standing in, in his town and looking out over the mountains. And he pointed to one of those mountains. And he, he, I was going to Bible school at that time. And he was jealous of me for getting to go to Bible school. He's like, oh, I didn't get to go to Bible school. That was my Bible school. He says, I went up on that mountain, and I would spend time in prayer, and, and, and the Holy Spirit would teach me, and I'm just like, you don't need to be jealous about Bible school. <laughs> this is like, he, he's, oh, but he was just so excited that I could go to Bible school and that I could learn, and he was talking about those things. But what he had come to discover was that the Bible taught that unity was important, the power of agreement. When we come together as the body of Christ, that is one of our purposes, is to agree together, to come together, because our power is multiplied. There is synergy in the spirit realm. And do not doubt that there is power in the spirit realm. Your prayers, say this with me, my prayers are powerful. Our prayers 
are even more so. There are some of us, and I'm just going to say that there are some of us who have not seen answer to prayer because we are not in agreement. Moving on. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 4 through 15 says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. There is another type of prayer. The Bible calls it praying with your spirit or praying in another tongue. Most of us call it praying in tongues. This is another type of prayer, and it is in the Scripture. Paul says, very specifically, that his mind, when he prays in the other tongue, is unfruitful. And he's very clear, that is not the only kind of prayer he does. He says, because this prayer is unique and it does, I, my mind is not fruitful, I pray in the Spirit and I also pray with my understanding. And I praise and worship in the Spirit and I praise and worship with my understanding. Acts chapter 2 verse 4 says, And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I want you guys to hear the difference. It does not say as the Spirit forced them, as the Spirit possessed them, as the Spirit obligated them. It doesn't. It says enabled. If I enable someone, I am making it possible for them to do something they're still going to do it. I'm not the doer. They're the doer. I'm just the enabler. That means, you know, like my son. He got his driver's license. Well, I helped him get his driver's license. I drove him to the place. I let him take the test. The state did all of that. We enabled him to drive. I'm not the one driving. No, I'm the one who drove... I. I sat in the passenger seat for 50 hours worth of driving, according to current laws. Those of you who are older may not realize they've changed it. You don't just get to go get your license anymore. These kids have to drive for 50 hours with someone else in order to get a license. I took that time. I enabled my son to be able to pass the requirements to do that so that he could get his license. Romans. 8.26 says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mindset of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. This is talking again about praying in tongues. And he says, there are times in our weakness that we don't know what to pray. You don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever not known what to pray about? 
You're like, there's a situation, and you're like, I don't know if I should pray that that does happen or if that doesn't happen. Like, which is going to be better? I don't know. The Bible says there are times in our weakness we don't know to how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself will intercede for us through the wordless groans, which would be the prayers in tongues. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. When we pray in tongues, we are praying God's will. Even when we don't know what that is with our mind. But our spirit, by the Holy Spirit, is informed of what that will is and prays it even without our understanding. That is what the Bible says is one of the benefits of speaking in tongues. 1 Corinthians 14 says, Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. If we look in the context, they were talking about church services where people would show up and people would just be praying in tongues. And Paul actually says, cut it out. He says, when you pray in tongues without an interpretation, that is you edifying your body. In the church... No one else is edified, so that's not the right time and place for that, unless there's an interpretation, in which case everyone else benefits. But basically, he describes praying in tongues as like spiritually charging your battery, edifying to edify. If we spoke in Greek, we would plug our phone in at night to be edified. That's how we would describe it. And he says, that's what praying in tongues does to your spirit. But not everybody around you. When, when you're praying in tongues, those around you, he says, they're, they're not edified. They're edified when there is prophecy, when, when it's understood what is going on, or when there's an interpretation. Losing my spot here. There we go. Luke 11, 11 through 12. This verse, I think, still applies so strongly today. I have talked to many, many people who say, you know what? I see in Scripture that there are references to tongues. But I'm really afraid that if I ask God for tongues, I'm going to get something fake, phony, demonic, twisted, inappropriate. I don't know. So I'd rather just stay on the safe side and do nothing. I think I shared with you guys before that that there are denominations represented by churches right nearby who literally made that their official stance. I was encouraged to discover that they stopped, it was in 2016, they stopped saying that tongues were wrong and they said, well, we recognize that they're in there, but we're just too worried to get it wrong, so we recommend you don't even do it. This is what, so so they were afraid, but this is what Jesus said. He said, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? This is the, the context was about the gift of the Holy Spirit. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. 
See, a snake and a scorpion, you can just imagine what those things symbolized. Those were symbols of demonic activity and demonic power. He says, but if you, as a human, then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly Father in heaven will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. This is Jesus answering that concern. Even in the Bible, they were, they were they, like, okay, so if I don't understand the gift of tongues, if I don't understand that prayer language, how do I know that I didn't get something perverse? And God's response is that he personally guarantees you won't. He says, if, I was, if you were to ask me for the Holy Spirit and you were to get something perverse instead, then that would make me like a father who would give his kid a scorpion when he asked for lunch. And he says, I won't do that. God himself has safeguarded that request. He says, if you ask me for the Holy Spirit, what you get will be the Holy Spirit. I will protect that transaction. That is God's, God's guarantee. How much time do we have? I... There are a few more types of prayer that we could touch on. Next week, I'm not going to continue this because next week we're going to have a guest speaker. Steve Hage is going to be here with us next week, and that is going to be good. So, make it. If you're watching online, I'm going to encourage you, you can watch online again, but you're going to want to be here. I don't know. I, I talked with him earlier this week, and I said one, one of the things that on occasion happens is he flows in the prophetic, and... You know, I said, I'm personally hoping that that's what happens next, next Sunday. He says, well, that would be great. When that happens, he says, I don't, you know, the Holy Spirit comes on me and I don't, you know, I can't promise you, but, but I appreciate knowing that that's what you guys are, are seeking and we'll be ready. So it could get really good next week. Um, please, come. Come expecting. Let's pray. Let's look forward to what God is going to bring next week. So I'm not going to continue this, but I, I'm, I'm kind of looking at the time. I think I'm going to stop here. And I want to give those of you who have never asked for whatever reason, whether you were too concerned you'd get something else, but the Bible says that if we ask, he will give the Holy Spirit. I didn't teach the entire time. I always teach on Pentecost Sunday about the Holy Ghost. We'll, we'll go there. But if, if you already know enough to know that you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but you've always held off for some reason or another, I want to give you that opportunity today. There are many types of prayer. That is one of the biblical types of prayer. But the Bible describes it as being... Um, an auxiliary experience, something that we ask God for. Does it, is it salvation? No. 
You are already saved as a Christian. But in Scripture, we see over and over examples where they asked and they received the Holy Spirit. There's, there's, there's a spot straight up where the disciples went to a newly founded church and he says, hey, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And then the Bible says that they prayed, they laid hands on them, and they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is something that God offers. And for those of you who have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, how many of you would say, it is a worthwhile blessing from the Lord? Absolutely. I want to give you guys that opportunity. So with your eyes closed, first of all, if you are not, have not asked forgiveness for your sin and just not accepted salvation to begin with, that is step one. If that's you, I want to invite you right now. With eyes closed, raise your hand and we'll pray. Dear God, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin and rose from the dead. I choose to make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you are here and you know that you have already accepted him as Lord and Savior, but you, you don't remember ever asking for that Holy Spirit, or you asked not understanding that it wasn't a favor, but you were asking for something that God has a right, gave you the right to ask for, knowing you would receive, and you would like to ask right now. The Bible describes it as them laying hands on them, and they received. And we don't have to wonder. We have God's promise. We have his promise that he comes. You say, will I be able to speak in tongues? Yes, you will. Is he going to force you to? No, he won't. I've talked to people who have, I've prayed for people who began praying in tongues right away. I've talked to people who waited and they got home. They prayed on their way back and driving down the car. But here's what we know. God did and will give you the baptism in the Holy Spirit and he will give you that gift. It's yours. So if you're here today, and you would like for me to pray with you, and just like the word says, receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, I want to ask you to raise your hand. I invite you guys to come right on down, and we're going to do that together. Praise God. Tell you what, it is exciting to grow in the Lord and to receive more and more of what he has for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you that your word has promised that we will lay hands and that they will receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We pray that your baptism in the Holy Spirit would come on her. We thank you that we have your promise that it is your will and that you will deliver. In Jesus' name, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.
the Bible tells us that we are enabled. We are not required. And so many people wait for God to force something. But I'm going to encourage you, whether it's now or when you're at home, and if any of you have asked for the Holy Spirit and then said, thought, why didn't I just start bursting out with tongues? The Bible says that we, he enables us. It says that they spoke. So I just encourage you, take some time when you're by yourself and just ask the Lord to give that. And, and you know, you'll find, well, that it's going to feel strange. It's going to feel different. The Bible describes it as your understanding not being fruitful. That means that when you say this, you're not going to be like, oh, those were the right ones. That was it. That made perfect sense. No, it doesn't. Why, why God decided to put it together that way, why he didn't just make it some sort of silent thing, I don't know. But he says it, it isn't fruitful to your understanding, but he says your spirit man is edified. And that, as we read today, that the Holy Spirit comes in conjunction with our spirit and prays the perfect will of God for that situation, even when we don't understand it. Wow, what a powerful tool. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for your promises. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your instruction. I ask that you would enlighten each and every one of us about how better we can use the many types of prayer so that we can further your purpose in our lives, so that we can be a brighter light in our family, in our homes, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our schools, Lord. In Jesus' name, I declare your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name.